James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote a letter to the early church to encourage them in the movement of Jesus. These are practical words reminding us that authentic faith is evidenced by love and good deeds, that the movement of Jesus flows through sacrificial love. When the waves of life become choppy and rough, James teaches us how to endure, how to press in, how to seek wisdom and live for what matters most. Because God is still moving through His church, the timeless words we find on these pages are God's invitation to put faith into action and see how God wants to move through you today. All right, friends, so I am going to start with a story. We're going to call it like a parable. Um, this is the parable of the unknown woman who returned a dress to an unknown retailer, okay? Just an unknown. This is not a parable. This is a true story. I have to confess, this is a true story. It is about me and anthropology. So if you work there, I apologize for what you're about to hear. But also, let me also set the stage that if we haven't met before, my name's Annie, and you're about to hear that I'm kind of a monster. Okay, so I'm just kind of a monster. That's your warning. Here we go. This is an embarrassing story about me. A year, a year and a half ago, I needed a dress for a wedding, and I bought two dresses online, uh, one dress in two sizes, right? So it was the same dress from Anthro in two sizes, and the wrong size got to me first, or what I was kind of like, uh, I bet the other one's going to fit better, but, but that one got to me in time for the wedding, and I left the tags on, and I wore it to the wedding. And the next day, the other dress arrives. And as a matter of fact, I was correct. The other dress fit better. And so, and I, again, I, my stomach hurts telling you this story, but I'm going for it. So I returned the one that I had worn to the wedding. I mean, we knew I was a monster when I didn't take the tags off, right? Like we knew there was a chance that thing was going back through the store. And I did. I took it back, and I got my money back, and I got back in my car, and I could have thrown up. Do you know that feeling? Where I was like, man, that is so dishonest. And then I also thought, if you'll drive away, it will go away. <laughs> I'm the worst friend you've ever had. Um, and so I did. I drove away, and it actually did not get better. It actually just got worse. Thank God. I am always, always grateful when the Holy Spirit convicts me beyond what I would like to be convicted, <laughs> right? So I, I just never felt better. And so I waited some days, well, technically till the next Monday, because I decided I was going to go into Anthro on a Monday afternoon, because do you know who's there on a Monday afternoon? None of y'all. None of y'all. None of y'all are there on a Monday afternoon. So I thought, I'm just going to go in, and I'm going to make it right real quick, and I'll be done. We were still wearing masks, and so I walk in with my mask on, and I think that's going to be very helpful that I've got a mask on. And as I'm walking up to the counter, the girl behind the counter says, Annie F. Downs. And I was like, oh, boy. Um, for starters, I was like, Lord, this is on me, and I probably deserve this. And I said, yes, hi. And then I'm just mortified, right? Because she knows who I am because of my job. And do you know who I work for? God. And so she knows who I am and what I do. And now I'm about to have to tell her that I've, I lied and kind of stole and I'm the worst. And 
I, I, we do the, hi, how are you? She says nice things. I say, thank you, whatever. And then I think, here's the solution. I'm just going to ask for the manager. And so I said, um, is there a chance I could talk to the manager? And you know what she said? I am the manager. And I thought, this is getting worse. You have been uh, promoted beyond your ability. This is not fair. So I say, well, great. Uh, I'm glad to meet you. Glad you're the manager. And here's the truth. And I told her. And I confessed the whole thing. And I was mortified. I'm still mortified telling you. I was mortified, and she listened and was not impressed, and, um, and we made it right. We made it right. But man, doing the right thing is not always easy. Whether we make a mistake or not, doing the right thing is not easy. We teach kids, do the right thing, do the right thing, and we never do like the comma in the second half that says like, but sometimes doing the right thing is not going to be the easy thing. We just are like, you should always do the right thing. And by the way, sometimes it, it is not fun. And that was not fun. James talks a lot about this in chapter two. As you know, we're in the middle of a series. So if you have just jumped in with us for the first time to movement, either at one of our campuses or with us online, then I really encourage you, go back and hear Pastor Kevin start the series. And then Jeff Henderson last week, who was so good. He's so good. And getting to hear them start the series. And then as you heard, there is a reading plan. You can jump in with us every week, every day. And there is a midweek podcast that we release that our team is doing some of the smartest pastors and leaders we have, I'm not on it, are there and they are together and they're talking in depth about all of this and James, it's amazing. So make sure you don't miss any of that. But we're continuing that because every fall we do this, we pick a letter, one of the letters that are in the Bible after the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, after the gospels, we pick a letter that's in the Bible and we just go through the whole thing. And so that is what we are doing here. And today when we look at James 2, I want you to experience it the way that the people who got this the first time experienced it. Meaning it was a letter written to them and it came in the mail. I don't know how the mail worked in 35 AD, but it came in the mail and someone, a leader or someone received it and said, hey, listen, this is the letter from James. This is Jesus's brother. We got to read this together. And so they would sit in a group. It isn't like how we do Bible study now where it's like, go read James at home in your comfy chair with your cup of coffee, right? That's not how they did it. They heard it just like this where they realized in their lives and the lives of everyone around them, they were all hearing the same thing at the same time, seated in community. So that's what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read us James 2 and then we'll take a couple of minutes and talk about it. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, ooh. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who have exploited you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? 
If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are gonna be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Thank God. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Okay, James, we see you. You believe that there is one God? Good. So even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Whew, okay. That's good. We're going to talk about all of it. So there's two main sections here, right? You heard it. There's like a favoritism section. We cannot show favoritism. And then there is where your faith and your deeds match. And there's plenty to learn about each of them individually. And that's why the midweek podcast is so helpful because they're going to deep dive on these two things. But, But if we're looking at it all together, if we're looking at one thing, what James wants us to know is doing the right thing is not always the easy thing. But doing the right thing changes everything. Doing the right thing is not always the easy thing. But doing the right thing changes everything. This is a really practical book we're reading. James is really practical. He's kind of like, here's how you live the life that you actually want to live. Here's how you act out what you believe. And one of the things he's saying, particularly in the first section about favoritism, is he's saying what we say around here at Crosspoint all the time. He's saying everyone's welcome. Everyone's welcome. A few years ago, I got to be a friend's date to the Grammys. It was awesome. And also, I was like slack-jawed the whole time because I know I'll never get back there. I have no skill that will ever get me to the Grammys. Like, they don't give Grammys for talking. And even if they did, they don't give for quantity. They give for quality. 
So I'm not winning one. I'm not winning one. I won't get invited there on my own. But I was so honored to get to be the guest of one of my friends. And, and so we went, and there were famous people everywhere, like real famous people. Like it's the year that Lady Gaga wore her meat as a dress, right? I mean, it was wild. I saw it with my eyeballs. And so at, one of the things we get to do, I didn't know this, but there's like a swag tent, maybe at other award shows or at other Grammys, it's not outside, but it was a tent. And when you walk in, all the famous people and their plus ones all get to walk through this tent and all these companies have laid their things out and you go, I want one of those, I want one of those, I want one of those, da, 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 da. and you make a pile and then you walk over to this side and they don't even make famous people use their arms. They send all that home in a box for you. You don't even have to carry it. You just bots up what you want, you give them an address, and they ship it for you. It's incredible. The thing that blew my mind is there were three different companies there that all had jeans that people could take. And I had a moment where I realized famous people do not buy their pants. Did you know this? Did you know famous people don't have to buy pants? They're just given pants everywhere they go. This explains so much to us. You and I are buying our pants. We are going to Old Navy and Target. They are walking into a booth and picking pants. And you know what? That's fine. The world actually is allowed to work that way. The world is allowed to reward famous people. We are not. The people of God, the kingdom of God, we are not. We do not show favoritism. Outside of these walls, whatever walls you're in, outside of these walls, they are building their kingdoms and their empires. We are building God's kingdom. So we do not show favoritism. Famous people get free pants. The world can give famous people free pants. We care for everyone. It's different. It was fun to go to. That's not the kingdom of God. So James is saying, listen, when they're in your meeting, he's not saying, he's not talking about the world. He's talking about us. When they're around us, the people of God, when people that are underprivileged in any way are around us, we show no favoritism. We show no favoritism. And the interesting thing is that everyone heard this together, right? So there was this like built-in accountability the first time they read this letter because they're all sitting around each other and they know they can't show up the next time and show favoritism, right? Because they'd all heard it together. It's like the best kind of peer pressure because doing the right thing is not always the easy thing, but doing the right thing changes everything. The point of a movement is that each person changes individually to endeavor that we all might change the things together. And if we want everyone to be welcomed here in our church, then everyone has to be welcomed here in our hearts. And so I, I have repenting to do around that, around people that I haven't treated fairly. I think we all probably do. Of even paying attention to what power we have that someone else doesn't have in here with the people of God. Our worship pastor, Dwan, and I were talking about this, and he said, it is the responsibility of the privileged, economically, socially, ethnically, to become less for the sake of the excluded. That's who we want to be. That's who we want to be, and especially in here, especially in here. I read a, a book as I was 
preparing for this, and the author said, I'm sorry, I don't remember the author's name, but the author said, non-Christians don't read the Bible, non-Christians read Christians. And here, we don't show favoritism. And here, everyone is welcome. And here, and here being our buildings, but here being with you and me. And here, everyone is welcome. So then James continues and starts talking about our faith and our deeds, right? In James 2, 18, this is my favorite one and my favorite verse of this chapter, I think. It's kind of like a mic drop from James. He says, now, some may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Okay, James, right? He, he, you see it right there, like, to claim to have faith without the deeds is only half of the work. Our faith, what we believe about God, shows up in our actions over and over. Now, to quote Pastor Kevin, don't hear what I'm not saying. We are not saved by what we do. Our actions, our works do not save us. Jesus' grace saves us. His life, death, and resurrection saved us. But our works, what we do, reflect what we believe. So James gives these two examples. First, he talks about Abraham. If you want to read through about Abraham this week, uh, I would look at Genesis 22 and Hebrews 11. That talks a lot about Abraham. But Abraham is this very respected man who God has said, through your son Isaac, I'm going to build a nation of people who follow me. And so Abraham believed that. That is Abraham's faith and the deed Right when, it, when God says, take your son up a mountain, are you really willing to lay down the one you love the most? Abraham's faith had to activate and go, I trust God. I trust God. I don't understand the story, but I trust God. Believing that God would make his promise come to pass. James 2, verse 22, it says, you see that his faith and his actions we're working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. So that's the thing, y'all, that like the first half is what we believe and we finish our faith by what we do. That's how we complete our faith. It's by what we do and how we live. Doing the right thing is not always the easy thing, but doing the right thing changes everything. The other person that he mentions is Rahab. And Rahab's story is in Joshua 2. Whereas Abraham is this man who's well-respected in his community and Jewish, Rahab is a Gentile female prostitute. But she believes, you can read it, she believes that our God is the one true God. So when some of the spies from the Jewish nation come to Jericho, they need a place to be hidden. She hides them, believing that God is who he says he is. And she's remembered in history for it. It changed everything. Do you know um, the story of Ruth? Do you remember the story of Ruth? It's a couple of chapter, or books after Joshua in the Bible. But remember Ruth and her mother-in-law and her sister-in-law, they, they're all married. They move to another country. All the men die. And Ruth and her mother-in-law move back. And when they move back, they have no money. They have nothing. And so Ruth is pretty much a beggar in a field. She's like picking up after the people who are actually sowing in the field. And so she is the lowest rung of human out there, but it's the only way they have any food. And if you've read the book of Ruth, you know what ends up happening is the man who owns that field ends up marrying Ruth and taking care of her and her 
family. His name is Boaz. Do you know who his mom was? Rahab. His mom is Rahab. Of course, he noticed a woman who was not respected by anyone else in the bottom of the social rung because that was also his mother. So Boaz marries Ruth and cares for Ruth because inside of him is an understanding that we don't show favoritism. And as you keep reading, if you go to Matthew, I could jump out of my skin. I love this so much. When you go to the start of Matthew and Matthew lists the lineage, it starts with Abraham. And about halfway down, you see Rahab's name because she's like the great-grandmother of King David, who is a man after God's own heart. And then as it keeps going down, it's the lineage of Jesus. But you know who else's lineage that is? James. So James isn't writing about two people he doesn't know. He's writing about two people in his family line. That's cool. That is cool. And what he is saying is doing the right thing is not the easy thing. It was not easy for Abraham. It was not easy for Rahab. But doing the right thing is not always the easy thing, but it changes everything. So when Pastor Kevin said, hey, Annie, you're going to teach all of James 2, I said, what? Because it's like two parts. And so I did a lot of reading and listening to podcasts and talking to much smarter people than me, wondering why did James write these back to back? Why did he go from favoritism to talking about faith and deeds? But if you look at Abraham and if you look at Rahab, if you look at these two people, they could not be more opposite. Abraham is a male, respected uh, from the chosen people of God. Rahab is a female, prostitute, Gentile. The way culture looks at them could not be more different. But as James is writing this, he's going, they both did the right thing when it wasn't the easy thing. But it changed everything. And, and what he is modeling for us is even God does not show favoritism when he invites us to do the right thing. All of us get invited to it. Everyone's welcome to do the right thing. That's what James is saying to us is I'm going to tell you about faith and deeds right after favoritism because they go hand in hand. Doing the right thing is not the easy thing, but doing the right thing changes everything. I want to tell you my baptism story. I grew up in the church. I was, grew up Methodist, and so I was sprinkled as a baby. It was a beautiful thing my parents did, kind of committing me to God, right? It was like a little baptism that just like got my hair wet. But I made a commitment to Jesus myself as a child and um, grew up, but I never got baptized because I kind of like I knew my own story, and it just never, I, much like Jamie said in the video, it, for me, my baptism was kind of like I'd always walked with God. I didn't need to kind of make that declaration, I guess, and I'd been sprinkled. Like probably a lot of you, right? A lot of us got wet hair as babies. And I moved here to Nashville, and um, August of 2008, and the July before that, the church that I went to in Atlanta was taking a trip of uh, people over to Scotland to help run like a Christian summer camp for a week, and so I was on that team, and so I, I went over there, and I knew that was the last thing I was doing before I moved here, before I moved to a new city, new job, new friends, new everything, 
And about halfway through the summer camp, a couple of the American team members were saying, hey, I think I'd really like to get baptized. And in my, in myself, I was like, oh, me too, me too. I, it had kind of come up in my heart for a little bit. And I was like, I think I'd like that too. And so the, the leader of our team, the Scottish guy says, well, we can do that the day after camp. We had like two touristy kind of days. So he was like, we'll do that the day after camp. I know right where we'll go. Just bring a change of clothes. Let me know if you want to get baptized. There were about five of us that wanted to. And the next day he drove us to, are you ready? Loch Ness. Hand to heaven. Your girl got baptized with Nessie, the Loch Ness monster. 100% true. I was like, this is my favorite story I'm ever going to get to live. Because don't you know the whole time I was thinking about Nessie? I mean, and also that water is so cold. You know this from like mountain lakes. The water gets so cold and they don't know where the bottom is because that's where she lives. And so it is deep and it is very cold. So our pastor, Pastor Tom walks out there. Another one of our leaders, Justin, walks out there and people are getting baptized. And then it is my turn and I walk out and I'm freezing and the water's about up to my waist and, and they ask the same questions that we ask here at Crosspoint. Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Do you commit to live your life with, with him and for him? And, and then I turned to Tom and it, was, it almost came out of my mouth before I even thought about it. I said, everything changes now, doesn't it? He said, yeah. And then they dunked me under. And when I came up, I took a gulp of air like you cannot believe. Uh, my mom was there and she got this picture of the moment. But I mean, I took a gulp of air. And, I, and one of my favorite things about God is there's a lot of mystery. And so there's mystery to this of like, I don't know what happened, but I'm telling you I'm different. Something happened right then that changed me. It changed me forever. I was one person and I was a different person, the old and the new, the dead and the living. I mean, I, I'm a different person. It was not the easy thing because it was cold, but it was the right thing and it has changed everything. And I just want to say again, baptism doesn't save us. It's Jesus that saves us. It is his grace. But baptism is a chance for our deeds to complete our faith, for us to say with our bodies what we believe in our hearts so I want to do something that we don't do very often around here. If you would like to, if you're writing in a journal, that's great. But if you have your phone, will you pull your phone out? Don't, uh, at all of our campuses, will you get your phone out? Don't like check your texts or get on social media. Don't yell at me on Twitter. I don't want to hear it. But if you will open your notes app and start a new note, and what I'd love for you to do is write this in your journal or type this on the note. Doing the right thing is not always the easy thing, but doing the right thing changes everything. If you'll just type that onto a note. If your phone works like my phone, then that in line and when I start a new note is bolded. So hit return a couple of times. And now I want you to list anything that you know is the right next thing. Maybe it is baptism. Maybe that's the right next thing for you or Maybe it's calling a counselor to talk about the thing. Maybe it's apologizing when you get back in the car. Ugh. Maybe it's reading your Bible this week. You can read along with us in the plan. Maybe this is the week that you're like, the right next thing for me to do is read my Bible. Or applying for that new job you've been thinking about but haven't like pulled the trigger on. Or maybe it's putting down the addiction and getting help, whether 
alcohol or Oreos or drugs or pornography or gambling. I mean, we could just keep going and going, but you know the thing that you think, I wish I could quit, but I can't quit. Maybe that's what you need to type. Maybe it is moving toward the vulnerable in our community, in our churches, in our lives, moving toward the people who have less power and less opportunity than us in any way you can think of. Maybe it's confessing. Listen, when I got here this morning, when I was driving here, I was saying to the Lord like, oh God, do big things today, you know, like moving people's lives and have them, and then the Lord was like, why don't you confess your sin first? I was like, what? It was not the easy thing, but it was the right thing, and that's the first thing I did when I got here to the pastor. I said, I gotta tell you this one thing before I get up. I cannot, I can't be the friend who get up and gets up in front of you and isn't telling the truth that I confess to. Besides dress stuff where I turn, return dresses that I stole. Maybe it's working on your marriage. Maybe it's something you need to say to your kids. Maybe it's inviting someone to come along with you. You have that one friend at work that you keep thinking would love coming here, but you keep not inviting and that's okay. Maybe that's the next right thing. Maybe it's telling the truth at work about something you've seen or known or did or telling the truth at home. And the problem with doing the right thing is sometimes there are consequences. I know. And so I just want to say to you, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Leaving a legacy and making a mark is not something that is saved and reserved for the popular or the perfect or the powerful. That is for the obedient. And that can be all of us. Thousands of ordinary, flawed, uncertain people doing the next right thing could have a profound impact on our city. And that is a movement. If we each just do our next right thing, how will that change our city? Doing the right thing is not always the easy thing, but doing the right thing will change everything. I'm telling you, I know it in my own life. We see it in Abraham's life, in Rahab's life, in Jesus's life, in James's life. You know it in your own life. So there's two groups of us here. And in response to the grace of Jesus and, and, our, and our desire to even do this, my, my bet is there are some of us here who the next right thing is actually just giving your life to Christ. For the first time or doing it in a way that you really mean it, surrendering your life to him. But we've all got a list, right? And so for a moment, I, I wanna pray for both groups. And, and if it is your first time inviting Jesus into your life. We're gonna pray through that. You can just repeat after me. You can type it on your phone. You can write it down. You can just say it in your head or out loud. And then I'm gonna pray for all of us with our list, whether you wrote them down on your phone, in a journal, and pray that we'll have courage to do the next thing. The next right thing is not so small. It doesn't matter, and it's not so big. It can't be handled. So we're gonna do the next right thing. So keep your phone out if you have it out because I don't want you to forget what we're praying for. But let's bow our heads. And if you haven't ever accepted Jesus or prayed this before, this is kind of how it goes. You can just say, dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I believe that you are the son of God who died and rose again for me. And I'm forgiven. And I commit my life to you. Whatever you would have me do with the rest of my days. 
And God, we, um, we know that those friends of ours in the room with us, at every campus, online, at, that those friends have made a decision that changes literally everything. <laughs> literally everything. And so God, be with them as they start walking with you. Uh, for all of us, God, there is this list on our phones or in our journals or in our hearts, and we know the next thing to confess or to step into or to say or to do. And, and God, I would just ask specifically that no one would be convinced that the next right thing doesn't matter. But God, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would say and remind and convict us to do the thing that matches our faith. Jesus, your grace is enough for us. and We trust you. So help us to be the people who don't show favoritism. Be the people whose faith and deeds match. That we would see a movement in our cities. We love you, God. Love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends, so we continue the movement series next week. Go out and do the right thing. We love you. We'll see you next week.